Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts now. Burnham, okay? She goes by she, her. I'm excited to be here. This is the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Brains, we're going to have a wonderful personal journey, a conversation with a beautiful soul. We're going to talk to her about leadership. Everybody has their own version of what a true leader is, but the leader is within, and you have to exude that out. You have to be able to accept a no as well as a yes. You don't have to be a dictator and, you know, hit people over the head. You want their buy-in. What does that look like in today's environment, in the days of the great resignation? And I don't want to go to work. I don't want to cooperate. I don't want to. I don't want to. How do we reel ourselves back in? We're going to talk about wellness, total body wellness. That's a tall order. Um, She's had some personal and emotional challenges, how she's been able to you know, uh, ride the wave and get through victorious on the other side with pink hair and a pretty smile. Let's welcome her to the edge. Hi, are you Kay Burnham? I really, really am excited to have you here on the edge. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I have been for a while. Well, it's going to be good and juicy and I'm going to ask you some fun facts. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you show up in the world, a little bit about your story and your journey. Oh, sure. Well, uh, as you said, I'm all about leadership and well-being. I am a mindful leadership and well-being coach. Mm. Uh, and, and I show up in the world every day grateful for everything I have, every lesson I've learned, and everything I have yet to experience. Um, but it wasn't always like that for me. Mm. Um, I struggled early on to find my gratitude. And uh, understand what that was because I tried to logic myself into being grateful, right? I tried to look at the things we're told to be grateful for and just say, oh, I'm grateful for this, but I didn't actually feel it. And in fact, my journey was a lot about really essentially it was connecting back to myself, come back, connecting what I thought in my head into how I felt in my body to stop compartmentalizing my life because compartmentalizing my life is what led to my breakdown. I experienced a series of, oh my gosh, five, six, light, really any one of which could be a life altering events in the span of a year. Wow. And because of that, and because I hadn't built uh, awareness of myself and true stress management strategies, I realized I had just been numbing myself to life and my stress and my body chose and mind chose uh, panic attacks as a way to get my attention. So I had a panic attack for the first, I'm 60 years old and I had a panic attack. I don't know, maybe about six months ago for the first time, a true panic attack. I don't know how people live with them. 
Oh man, I lived it with that. It was for quite awful a sauce. It was awful. The the room started spinning. I got hot. My throat got dry. I was nervous. I, you know, I was hearing like ringing in my ears, and I'm like, "What in the world?" I thought it was an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of people feel like they're having. They think they're having a heart attack the first time yeah. it happened. I yeah. just knew so I, I had got to my, I got my head around that real quick. I was like, "Okay, this situation here, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to allow this gun to fire again. This is not going to be the same oh. trigger." I knew what it was. You know, it was an individual. It was my alcoholic brother. And honey, he was something else. And I said, you know what? Not in my life anymore. We, again, like you say, you numb yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was honestly, even my panic attacks, I started numbing myself to what was going on and trying to really ignore it. I'm kind of stubborn that way, or at least I used to be. Mm. Um, it, I actually, it took jumping out of a moving car for me to realize I needed to make a change. Now it wasn't moving fast and I wasn't driving. Let me be real clear. Right. Uh, I was on my way to an offsite work event. I used to work in the live entertainment industry. Okay. Uh, and we were doing an event offsite. I had no responsibility for it and I wasn't late. But as the driver started pulling into the parking area, I was like, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. I just started panicking about it. And I threw the door open and jumped out and started running. And about halfway to where I was supposed to go, I was like, what did I just do? I just jumped out of a moving car. This this is wow. not safe. This is not healthy. This is not okay. I have to get help. Like that was the moment when I realized I needed to make a change. Wow. So you talk about total body wellness. That's from head to toe. Actually, it's it's more than just total body. It's total person, whole person. It's mind, it's body, and it's spirit. Mm, mm, the mm. three essential areas of being human. And we have to take care of all of them. Mm. And we take care of each part differently. Mm -hmm. And brains, you got to check in with every part. You know, you will go and you will get a colonoscopy you will go and get an uh, EKG. You will go and get your ears checked. But do you ever get your brain checked? Do you ever check in? People have a stigma and, about mental health. We're all going to melt down. We're all going to break down. The brain is, you know, is, the, is the, the engine to the machine. There's nothing wrong with going to see a counselor, working with a coach, uh, going on a retreat, finding spirituality. Those are self-love. That's self-care at the highest form. Don't you think, Kay? 100%. 100%. I find that, that most people are very familiar with self-care when it comes to, I need to eat right. I need to get sleep. I need to go to the doctor and get regular checkups. Whether they do these things or not, they're aware that this is a part Absolutely. of self-care. And right? it's socially acceptable. See, that's, exactly. that's the thing is, Brains, you're waiting for outside influences to validate what you need. That's your first mistake. <laughs> Nobody knows what you need better than you. You know when you're not feeling good. You know, when, again, the realization, you didn't realize it at the time that you opened the door, but when you got halfway there, you was like, what in the heck just happened? Yeah, and I absolutely. don't want it to happen again. People that are in this uh, influx and they're in this pain, 
a lot of times the shame associated with it. They don't want to tell anybody or the negative Nelly. Well, girl, you know, she's got problems and you know that her husband is doing this and her kids are doing that and she lost her job. You're hearing all of this wah, 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 wah. And all it's doing is ramping you up. How do you shut that off? How do you separate fact from fiction when it comes to your feelings and your own mental health? Oh man, that's a large question. That is that is a that is the crux of it. Is you have to get in touch with what's going on inside here. You have to start actually pulling yourself back and understanding what you're thinking and then how to think about what you're thinking. Right? It's dangerous. It's really dangerous to believe that everything we think is true. But that's a natural human state. If we think it and we're on autopilot, we believe it. And that's where a lot of the negative self-talk, we don't even realize we're doing it. We don't realize that we are beating ourselves up because we've been told that, you know, looking at our mistakes and sort of being critical about them and judging them is a way to keep us from making them again. But it's actually the recipe for depression and anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a recipe for disaster. Huh. You had a recipe for jumping out of cars. Exactly. You, you know, you spoke to us briefly in the beginning about some challenging times. You lost your husband to bone cancer. It was actually prostate cancer that spread all the way through his entire skeleton. Ooh. ooh, ooh, ooh. Yep. And it was like that one. It was, it was a very, very aggressive form of cancer. Um, and when they discovered it was already through his skeleton, it was already through um, his some of his other organs. Uh, they think it had only been in his body for about three or four months by the time. Wow. Yeah. So there's a scale and I can't remember the name of it, but it's like from one to 10. And when you get to like four, they really start to worry about how aggressive the cancer is. And he scored an eight. Was he a young man? He was 43 when he was diagnosed. They don't even start looking for prostate cancer until 50. So he was misdiagnosed for a couple of months. Uh, he was having back pain and it was misdiagnosed as some mysterious injury that they started to, to treat him for, for the pain so he could recover, giving him re you know rest and ice and all of the things you do for an injury. And the pain wasn't getting better. The pain management medication wasn't strong enough. And then he started peeing blood. And that sent him to the ER very quickly. Within a few days, we were having surgery to remove a very small mass they found in his bladder. And within a week, we were being given the news that he had a 50% chance to live five years. Wow. So when you get news like that, you're devastated. You want to compact another 50 years of life into a year or two you're angry with god you know you're feeling that is it and my mother i used to say mom that's not fair she goes oh yeah it's fair she says because you know if you drive you're going to get a turn at the wheel so when you came to the realization that my husband is going to to leave and i'm going to be you know here to deal with this and to deal with the children and to deal with life by myself. What did you say to yourself to comfort yourself? How did you coddle yourself? Mm. Oh, that's a really good question. 
Um, well, uh, I engage, I was engaged with a therapist at the time, which was very, very lucky for me. Um, and so I, I turned to her for help and she was an expert in grief. And so I started to, um, to, I turned to, I turned to my mindfulness practices first. I turned to going deep within to try to objectively engage with the emotions that I was feeling, not to ignore them or push them down or try to, to not face them, but to really, to look at them and say, okay, this belongs here. It's okay. It's absolutely okay for me to feel all these things, for me to feel the fear, the anger, the disappointment, the, oh my gosh, it was so many things. And you also feel like you're robbed. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. You so, feel like the yeah. You feel like the victim is like, like, you know, mom said it's why me? I'm the only person that this is happening to. Did you have a strong support group? Did you allow them? Because a lot of times we put in a, a buffer because, yeah, we're angry. Yeah. you know, we're angry too. You go through all of these emotions and grief is not a, you know, syncopated rhythm. You're not going to go through, one, you're going to go back and forth, a, forth and back. And Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you had children. Yeah. Yeah. But you had to be there for it. And we want to be strong for the kids. We don't want them to see us cry. We don't want them to, you know, we, we don't want them to feel sorry for ourselves, but it's a part of the process. It is. I've and got we, a girlfriend. I've got two girlfriends. One girlfriend will not allow her daughter to go to the funeral. The other one, we're in the car and we drive past the funeral and she goes, oh, my Nana's over there. She's resting with the other people. They oh. keep that place so nice. It's nice and quiet over there. That's where she's going to rest for the rest of her life. But her spirit is there, April. Do you have anybody over there? It was like... You know, and you tell your kids, oh, well, you know, death, um, grandma and grandpa are just, they're sleeping. Now your child's afraid to go to sleep. They mm -hmm. have to understand, in my opinion, Brains, that this is a spiritual transition. Yes, here we are on this planet in this meat suit. <laughs> you know, yep, uh, yep. Like, looking like Lady Gaga in a meat suit, right? <laughs> uh, and we're hurt. And we're disenchanted. And again, we feel like the victim and, and why me? But somebody told me something. I'm going to tell you this story real quick. Dr. Cornell West told me when my mother was passing, he goes, you know, April, being born is a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. He says, you come through a canal of birth. Uh, it's, it's slime and it's blood. You're pushed out. You're cut out. You're forced out. But once you arrive, they've thrown you a party. There's bright lights, there's presents, everybody's happy to see you, they hug and kiss you, you know, it's wonderful. Then you go through this thing called life. Now you got to make another transition, death, and it's traumatic as well. Some people are forced out, some people are cut out, some people are pushed out. He said, but believe me, there's a party on the other side, and there's people waiting for you, and there's more gifts. So again, it is ever-evolving. So don't get yourself all jacked up, you know? Don't get all wadded up. Just kind of go with it because it makes it easier. 
your your children what what did they go through a little bit i mean you know not too much emotional but do they have conversations with you did they kind of you know shield themselves did they take every every opportunity to be with your husband before he transitioned we took a very very conscious approach to his illness and eventually to his hospice um, it was very important to both of us that there was nothing in shadow there was nothing hidden that we were being transparent and open about what was going on with him, what the treatments were going to be, and how we were feeling. We didn't hide our fear. We didn't hide our upset over this. Um, we found appropriate ways to talk about both our girls with, with these emotions, because we knew if we were experiencing big, hard emotions, they were too, whatever they were, and we wanted them to feel free to express them. And so uh, we did have a great support system. In fact, when we got this news within days, I had two of my dearest friends uh, drive long distances or fly uh, in just to be there and support us and be with us emotionally. Um, we talked and, and, and we talked openly with the girls. We pulled them together. They were both in high school at the time. So they were old enough to truly understand what was happening. Um, and, and be a part of the journey with us. And uh, when we got to hospice, we, I say it this way, I was lucky enough to have the ability to have him in our home. He went through hospice in yeah. our living room yeah. um, and I was his primary caregiver. I have my mother here too. And I was her primary caregiver and shout out to hospice. That is amazing. They would call me on the phone. Hey, you know, we're on our way over to check on your mom. You need something from the store? Mm -hmm. You know, just, they're just there. It's a philosophy, Brains. It is a managed care. Um, they go through the process with you. I think the, the the hardest part for me was administering the morphine. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to overdose my mother. Mm -hmm. and that's what I thought. But it, it wasn't that way. Um, no. No, it helped her breathing. Um, it helped me. It helped me comfort her. I yep. played my singing bowls. I felt like I opened mm -hmm. up a portal for her, for the angels to come and get her brings the transition. And again, this is not for everybody. No, no. You know, because we're looking at the world here and these mass shootings and all this other stuff. But in totality, we have to go inward. We have to, and we have to sit with it and we have to marinate with it and we have to meditate on it and we have to forgive, but we also think about our own immortality, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, absolutely. And how do I handle this? Because I know I'm looking at a photograph right now of my entire family and I'm the only sucker left there. <laughs> so I know my number's coming, you know, but I'm saying to myself, thinking about what Dr. Cornell once said. I'm waiting for the party. Mm. You know, um, it yeah. can be, it, it can, it can be not as traumatic if we understand that it is a part of the process. Cause like taxes, death is guaranteed. Yep. Yep. It's guaranteed. Well, let's talk about something happy. <laughs> let's talk about your love for pink hair and Disneyland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the world, did you go decide to do pink hair I think it's so becoming on you thank you um I, it does attract a lot of attention and it's that's absolutely not why I did it um I had started coloring my hair um oh my gosh 
back when I was first in college in the late 80s, early 90s. And I did it because, well, sort of for the attention, because I had naturally blonde hair, white, like California blonde hair. And being in California, and at the time, all the blonde jokes and the stereotypes around being blonde, I found that my teachers weren't exactly willing to call on me in class or they really? sort of discounted the things that I was saying. And I got really frustrated. And so I decided to change my hair color. And it was really interesting that once I did that, it did change how my teachers engaged with me. Wow. But then I went off and I started into a career in a time when you weren't, people did not color their hair in business. Like didn't matter what business you were in, you did not color your hair. If you were working in business, you could to be taken seriously, but it was something, it's a personal expression for me. I love color, love it in all I its forms. Too. I do too. I do. And too. so when I got to a place of privilege in my career, I started experimenting with my hair color and just slowly pushing the boundaries of what that meant. And I got to the point where I had sort of bright red, flame red hair. And everyone loved it because when we were doing outside events, people knew where I was. I didn't need a walkie talkie. I didn't need my radio for people to find me. <laughs> I looked around the plaza and went, there's Kay. Okay, let's go get her. Wow. So as I transitioned and kept going, I just change it up to whatever I feel like expresses oh, my moods. Well, I do that with hair options. I think I got like 20. <laughs> I love that. I, do, I can be a different person, but hair is fashion. Mm -hmm. And it is eye-catching. And it is okay to want to draw attention to yourself. For yep. people to be drawn to you. You know, I'll go to an event and I'll have on a overstated piece of jewelry. Or I'll have on a hat. People want to meet that person. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely okay, Brains. You don't have to dull it down. You don't have to, you know, be backed into a corner. Live. Yep. Absolutely. So I let's also talk found, about, oh, go ahead. Well, I also found that it, so <laughs> I've been told that in my, in my previous career, I could come across as very intimidating. Ooh. And then when I changed my hair and my color, it sort of softened how people perceived me. They saw me as less conventional. They saw me as someone that was more approachable. Uh, someone to alternative things and ways of being, which is truly who I am at my core. And so it really did become a personal expression of who I am that people could connect to. Well, I'm so glad. And you connect to Disneyland. <laughs> my <laughs> daughter. Well, well, you know, you were in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And so it seems like they're really drawn to that. But there's a lot to learn from Walt Disney and, you know, his inception, his creation, his creativity, um, his connectivity with mm -hmm. all ages. You know, you can be two or you can be 92 and you go to the happiest place on earth. I was telling you in the green room, my daughter was there 34 times last year. I was a little concerned what was going on with Mickey Mouse. And she says, mom, there's wine and cheese festivals and there's different themes and you can dress up and you can watch people. She said, we just go just to hang out. It's like an alternative world. What do you find that makes, that draws you to Disneyland? Oh my gosh, it's so much. But a lot of it is, is 
it's a way to transport myself out of my day to day and to reconnect to the child within. I have been going to Disneyland since I was a very small child. Back back in the days when you didn't actually have to pay to get in the gates, you only had to pay to ride the rides and you could do and that. And you had the tickets. Remember uh-huh. you had the tickets and if you ran out of those tickets, you were jacked up, you had to go buy more. <laughs> but you could wander around and you could just be there. And so I think, you know, early on I connected to just the love of being in that environment. And so I go to ride the rides and reconnect to how I felt as a child on them, that that moment of weightlessness on a roller coaster or, you know, excitement of a drop over a waterfall in Pirates. Uh, They've upped their game on their food over the years and they have wonderful, oh yes, they have wonderful food. They have wonderful food festivals where you can try a variety of cuisines. I love those. But yeah, the people watching, oh, it's great. I love I love watching the little kids going oh into fantasy land and sitting on a bench. And if you can find one and just watching the awe and the wonder on kids faces and as, the parades and, oh, yeah. and how everybody kind of dresses in theme, but just like everything else, it's priced people out. Yeah. You know, yeah. it really has uh, you know, California and then California adventure. You know, I've never been there. I've got oh, to do that. Yeah, yeah my, yeah. my daughter says that's a little bit more adult and I'll like that. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, but it's just wonderful to be able to extract yourself and go into this fantasy place to find joy, to be somewhere else. So I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you some fun questions. Okay. Okay. If you could time travel, okay, where would you land? Ooh, that's a good one. go to the future me too go to the future me too and i'd probably only go about 20 years into the future really oh yeah. no i'll go like probably 500 years i want to go i want to go way out you know <laughs> i want to do that that okay. would that would be that would be interesting gosh maybe i need That's- to expand my scope just you know, just to to think about that. If you were an appliance in the kitchen, Kay, what would you be? The one that gets used the least. <laughs> you are funny. You are funny. I would probably be the spice grinder. Ooh, yeah, I like I that like answer. To, yeah, I like to I like to have it a little spicy. What are three of your guilty pleasures? What are three things that you just can't live without? Not the kids and the job and the career, all that stuff, but just really, what are your guilty pleasures? Um, reality TV. Ooh. Uh, mostly Ooh. reality competition shows. Okay. Um, oh my gosh. Another guilty pleasure? Wow. It's hard for me to think of it that way because I've I really stopped thinking of my pleasures as being guilty at all. Like they are just my pleasures. I don't judge them anymore. But I would say um, probably sitting down with a big bowl of chocolate ice cream with peanut butter on it. Oh, I bet that's good. That's a definite guilty pleasure. Um, Oh, wow. A third guilty pleasure. Something that just... 
lights me up and other people. Ooh, is that uh, one naughty? <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, spending time in imaginary play. Really? As an adult, we we're you know, we're told to grow out of it, right? We're we're told to focus on more practical things. But I love engaging in creative and imaginary play. And I find that it really opens me up to exploring new things in my life. Well, that's beautiful because again, that's Disneyland. That mm -hmm. is the awakening that you found after, you know, your husband's transition, you found yourself again. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. We lose ourselves in our families and our careers and, you know, all of this, we doubt ourselves. We have that negative self-talk. Oh yeah. We have to change that NLP. What would you say to a woman right now that's in the thralls of all of that, that's struggling? Oh man, I I I I feel I feel your your pain and I have deep empathy for you. The first thing I would say is you are beautiful, you are wonderful, and there is nothing about you that is broken or needs fixing. You are gifted and beautiful and wonderful just as you are, and you have the ability to absolutely love every single thing about you, even the things that you're beating yourself up for. And forge ahead, because this too shall pass. Everything is temporary. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. When you really, really embrace it, when you start feeling the weight of a challenge, to tack on to the end of what you're telling yourself that this is for now. It's amazing how those two words have the power to release tension and feelings of weight and burden because it's just for now. It's not forever. That's a great takeaway. Please tell my brains, Kay, how to get in contact with you, how to work with you, um, maybe um, even meet you at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that. I, that. That's what I said. I'm going to come up with my daughter and I'm going to call you before I come and say, come on, Kay, let's go to Disneyland. Show me around. <laughs> well, the best way to get a great overview of everything that I do is to go to my website, which is perceivingpossibilities.com. In fact, on there, you can sign up to for a free 30-minute session with me where we'll talk about what your goals are and what may be keeping you from reaching them. And I'll give you a few key steps on your journey to get you going in the right direction. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram under Perceiving Possibilities. And on TikTok, I'm on there under Grateful365. And I give lots of quick practical tips for connecting to yourself and bringing more mindfulness and joy and calm into your life. That's what we need. Peace, love, joy, calm, um, and connectivity. Know that you're not alone, brains. You don't have to struggle in silence, but you have to speak up. You have to speak up and you have to want the help and you have to do the work. You know, it's not a magic wand with pixie dust like Tinkerbell has. Nope. <laughs> you nope. Got to show up and you've got to do the work. Thank you so much, Kay Burnham, for being here with us on the edge. 
uh, brains, go in and like, love, and share, subscribe. Like, love, share, subscribe. Three times a charm. Like, love, share, and subscribe here on the edge. Thank you so much, Kay. Come back and visit me again. But before you, know you visit me, next time, we're going to be recording live from Disneyland. I'm telling you, I'm going to meet you there for sure. All right? Talk to you soon, baby. Okay.